Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone, Priest of Dispatchers here and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for searching wherever you get your podcasts and finding us. Please like, subscribe and share with your friends. The episode you're about to listen to is from Brian Middleton. It's episode four of the After Dinner Chat series. Brian contributed to the blog as the Bear of Leeds, where he speaks about his experience as a missionary in Leeds, England. It'd be great if you could leave a review, five stars if possible, wherever you get your podcasts. And without further ado, take it away, Brian. Welcome back to Priest of Dispatches After Dinner Chats. I'm Priest of Dispatchers. This is episode four, and we have Brian Middleton with us live from Tennessee. Uh, Brian contributed to the <laughs> the blog. I forgot where we were there for a minute, Brian. <laughs> You're okay. relaxed. Brian contributed to the blog uh, with his story, The Bear of Leeds. Um, and me and Brian both served in the same mission at the same time, although not with one another. Um, but the Bear of Leeds is a story of survival. Um, it's a tragedy, um, but it's something that I think a lot of people have experienced, unfortunately, um, in the mission field. Um, so as a trigger warning, before we begin Brian's story, um, I want to just put out there that um, we will cover topics of sexual abuse for anyone affected by those topics. In the UK, um, there are uh, there's the Survivors Trust, and in the United States, there is um, a charity called Rain. The links to those charities who help um, survivors of sexual abuse can be found in the description of the show. Um, if there is anyone from outside of those countries um, who feels they need, um, that they need help, um, then please get in touch at War Office at PriestOfDispatches.com and we'll do our best to signpost you um, to uh, where you can find that much-needed help. Okay, but we'll we'll get right into it. Brian Middleton, live from Tennessee. Brian, um, can you give us a quick bio of, of where you started in the Mormon world? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> born into the Latter-day Saint faith, um, my father is a convert, and my mother was born and raised. Um, Part of my mother's family uh, were uh, pioneers, and another part were um, later converts to the um, to the church from Germany. Um, were, they, were they polygamous pioneers? Uh, some of the yeah, the ones that were early converts were polygamous pioneers. Uh, the later German ones were. Uh, not supposed to be polygamous, but uh, there's a history of sexual abuse okay. uh, relating to that. And I'm pretty sure that's what's contributed to a lot of the familial trauma that my family is dealing with um, still to this day. But basically, um, it's not really talked about, but there's 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 little hints here and there that I I discovered about how my um, apparently my my great grandfather I'm not hundred percent certain of this, but it sounded like he was married to one sister and also having relations with another. So, wow. 
Yeah. You're not uh, the great grandchild of Joseph Smith, though. No. Okay. Or Brigham Young. Or... <laughs> no. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, I was born in Ohio, uh, lived in Alabama until about the age of five. Then um, my dad and uh, got a job out in California, Northern California, just outside Sacramento um, with a, a major company. Um, and so we relocated out to California and from about the age of five until I left on my mission uh, at the age of 19, um, February 2003, I believe, um, I lived in California. And then uh, when I was, I would call, I was called to the Leeds England mission, England Leeds mission. Um, and I went to the UK MTC, the Preston England MTC, um, which was a fun experience. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they just had to take the, uh, the Moroni down. Uh, uh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, it's been struck by lightning too many times. <laughs> like, you're just like, if there, if there was one, one um, figurehead in the church that you'd think would be protected, it would be every angel, angel Moroni on the planet. But apparently they're just massive lightning conductors. Well, yeah, if they're covered in gold, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry, carry on. You're all good. You're all good. Um, I I had a my my MTC companion uh, was um, from South Africa, and he was unendowed, so I got to take him through the endowment session. Um, oh, wow. How did and, he enjoy that? Uh, he was a little freaked out. <laughs> That's like and, a whole ton of pressure. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was where I figured out that uh, the, the the true names are on a schedule. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> because, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so like, because you, um, so my dad was the same. He went to the MTC unendowed. Mm -hmm. now, usually when you go for an endowment, you're surrounded by your tribe mm -hmm. and everyone kind of looking at you and being like, it's true. Carry on. Yeah. You know, keep doing the weird thing. But he would have been there with total strangers with you who obviously well-meaning and going through something that he probably just thought was absolutely batshit, but there was no social reinforcement there in a good way. It was almost like social reinforcement in a really bad way. Yeah. because there was no one to say like kindly yeah it's okay it was more of a look you're here now and if you don't do it it's catastrophe i don't know yeah i he he um so my mtc group was one of the largest that came into the mission it was the largest at that point um and he melded beautifully with a lot of the other guys in the mtc group okay and and i didn't um and later i discovered i'm autistic uh so that okay. that that's probably a big part of it uh it also didn't help that because being autistic one of the things that that is pretty common about us um and this is the autism neurotype not the disability autism spectrum disorder um they're interrelated but you cannot have ASD and not be autistic, but you can be autistic and not have ASD. 
that's that's a simplified version of it. Um, but uh, one of the common characteristics is we love rules, clearly defined rules. And so yeah. for me, growing up Mormon, it's like, oh my gosh, these rules are so clearly defined. So like I was intense, like yeah. I was really intense. Um, and, you know, I, I dove in deep and, and was very about Peter priesthood. Um, and that didn't endear me to my peers, even though I was trying to, you know, be friendly. Um, yeah. and then of course, some of the other guys, uh, a lot of the other guys were, you know, a little bit more, uh, apostate would be the, you know, the term that was used at the time, but, yeah. um, like, for example, how I figured it out was my companion, one of the other guys was like, what name did you get? And I was like, guys, don't do that. Like, and, and, and then my companion pulled out a, a, a Bible because, you know, when we're sitting in the pews, they're, they're right there in front of him. And he, he looks up the name and points to it. And I see it out of the corner of my eye. And I'm like, wait, that's the same one I got. I thought he would have gotten something different. Yeah, <laughs> so um, I had, um, when I first went through, my brother-in-law was there with me and he did exactly the same thing. Uh -huh. um, he'd obviously been through before and he said he pulled out the scriptures and he went through and he's like pointed to a name. And he's like, that's your name. And I was blown away. I was just like, oh my gosh, how did you, how did you hear that? And um, never even knew that it was all, um, it was all a con. Yeah, yeah, it's all, it's it all a schedule. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to pull it up now. The, uh, the lexicon they call it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, and that's how they figure out. My, my state president said to me, "Oh, if I ever forget, um, then I can just go back to the church and tell them what date I went through the temple, and then someone will, will whisper it to me again." Um, but here we go. I'll just share it on screen now so you just pop your name in and and bob's your uncle there it is your name could be bob um yeah. but yeah all the names and it's crazy because you you think of this new name as being something amazing and so like i don't know just spiritual i've got my new name it's it's just for me and little did you know it's for everyone every man and his dog um so yeah, yeah. ozzy johnson yeah the oracle um like something from the matrix or that there's a new matrix coming out um not to it looks good but yeah it looks better than this <laughs> tripe anyway but uh but going back to my childhood so one of my earliest mormon experiences i had was my family had a, a family home evening, which for those who are not familiar with that, that's usually on a Monday night where you meet together and you have a spiritual lesson. And uh, sometimes there's games and fun things, depending on how cool your parents are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it's, it's, you know, spiritual lessons, that sort of thing. Well, um, we had a lesson about the Book of Mormon and we reviewed the prompt Moroni's promise where if you ask, um, then you'll receive, uh, if you ask if it's true that you'll receive an answer. And so seven-year-old me loving my family, wanting very much to be a 
connected to my family and hearing all the promises of, of time and all eternity and, and all this other stuff. And if you're not faithful, then you can see them, but you're not going to be with them for all eternity type thing. Yeah. Um, uh, being scared to death goes into my room and in praise and cries intensely for about 20 minutes and not getting anything, just, just getting nothing except this pit in my stomach. And I'm like, well, I can't, I can't go out there and not have had something. So, so terrified I come out and I say that I had the spirit come to me and tell me that, that the book of Mormon was true and I'm crying and shaking and, and of course, everybody else is reading that as me having an actual ter- spiritual experience. But no, I straight up lied. Wow. I lied because I was scared to lose my family because I love my family. And um, and and to this day, uh, certain family members will tell me about that and be like, oh, you had this experience. Why would you? And I'm like, because it's not true, because I was scared because my um, to use behavior analytic terms, my day job is I'm a behavior analyst. Um I was scared of the pungent, uh, the punishment contingency, contingency that was present. So there was an e- abolishing operation for me to tell the truth. Yeah. And there was an establishing operation for me to lie. And by lying, I received reinforcement. And that reinforcement was social and attention and access. Um, and so, like, that's, that's what happened. And um, <clears throat> yes, I've had some amazing experiences some truly um, fantastic experiences. But now my, my stance on it is having spoken to a lot of people from multiple faiths and non-faiths. I've spoken to atheists who've had experiences like this, um, similar to what I've had, or even others. And, and some of them are spiritual gifts like prophecy, like, um, the gift of tongues, the, 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 all these sorts of things. And, and again, people across multiple cultures and every single one of them tries to explain it within their worldview, within their mm-hmm. cultural worldview. Yeah. Um, and the only ones who've been truly honest that I've encountered are the atheists who are like, I don't know it. Maybe it's a natural process. Maybe it's God, but because I can't know for sure, all I can know is I had this experience and that's it. Yeah. And so um, are there deity, are there supreme being or beings? Okay, wait, wait. <laughs> wait. <laughs> Before you get there, because that's the question everyone wants the answer to. And okay. you're, you're going to give us a very good answer because we discussed this already. Um, All right. But we're, we're putting the cart before the horse a little bit there. So okay, we know, well, we how about I... <laughs> you, you grew up in a Mormon household from yeah. um, some pioneer stock. Um, mm-hmm. You were and some convert stock. And some convert stock. So you baptized at eight. Yep. Um, and you followed pretty much the the general kind of mm-hmm. uh, Peter Priesthood youth program scout. Mm-hmm. Were you a scout, Eagle Scout. I am an Eagle Scout with three yeah. palms. All that. <laughs> um, and and then went on a mission, mm-hmm. served the England Leeds mission, um, and we'll come back to that after your yeah. mission. Um, did you go home get married, or yeah. what? What happened? Um, so I met my ex while I was going to school in Southern Utah. Um, I attended a little uh, traditional liberal arts college um, that's now defunct, called George Wythe University. Okay. Um, and I met her there, and. Um, unusual courtship. We actually were uh, dating for a year and engaged for a year. 
wow. before getting married. And uh, there was no premarital sex. None whatsoever. Any, none whatsoever. Like, I... I uh, Is that difficult? I think this has something to do with being autistic, but because that particular part of me wasn't unlocked... That's I, why I didn't make the assumption. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, I, I was aware of sexual attraction. I definitely had all the reactions, but that just had never brought two and two together until... Do you think, do you think that was more difficult for her? I, I honestly don't know. Um, like... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Probably, maybe. Um, but the, the long and short of it was like, we, we definitely did everything we were supposed to. Yeah. And uh, we got sealed in the temple, St. George Temple. Um, we were married for six years. Uh, she asked for a divorce. Um, and I suspect that when the relationship started going downhill, there might've been some infidelity, but I, I can't know for sure. Okay. Um, well, and it, that, that's a, that was a fun, interesting experience, but yeah, that... it's far too serious for an after dinner chat. So okay. we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> your, your Mormon stories episode to, uh, okay. that one. I think, I think we need more than an hour on that one. Yeah. Uh, but you know, but that was my experience. And yeah. then, and um, so the thing that led me to leave, is that okay for me to talk about that? Uh, yeah. So yeah, okay. we'll, we'll just work. We're up to the age of 30 now. Uh, approximately 30, yes. So you've done 22 years on the front lines, being mm-hmm. a diehard um, kind of uh, fan of Joseph Smith and, and everything. Um, you've been married, served the mission, married in the temple. Unfortunately, um, the marriage... Uh, ends in a divorce and -hmm. at the age of 30 you have some kind of paradigm shift yeah so it was actually prior to my divorce that 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 this paradigm shift happened um so i i was in church and i i was going to church and she wasn't consistently she sometimes would go but sometimes wouldn't and I totally understand why now, because, oh, my God, so judgy. Um, but I was in church, and I had been talking to my priesthood leaders. I had been attending church regularly, and I, I was just in, in sacrament meeting, just suffering. Like, so, everything's going wrong. I don't know why. Why is everything going wrong? I've done everything I was supposed to do. I've done what I follow the counsel of my priesthood leaders. And I got a very clear impression, and that clear impression was go up on the mountainside. Now, I lived in Cedar City, Utah at the time, and, like, literally the mountain is right there, Cedar Mountain. It's a beautiful. And um, so I'm like, all right, well, that's that. I'm following the impression that that's led me to be there to help people and to do things both for myself and for others, that's a positive. And every time I've listened to that voice, that feeling, things have gone right. Um, And the one time I didn't listen to it, um, somebody passed away. Okay. Um, So like, you know, whatever that sense is, I trust it. Um, And so I, I trusted it and I went up on the mountainside 
And while I was up on the mountainside hiking, so I, you know, I first ran home, put on hiking boots and, and hiking clothes and all that. Yeah. While I was on the mountainside, I was walking up to this one area and I saw this person standing on the edge of a cliff. And I just got this intense feeling, talk to him. And so I walked up to him and I talked to him and he looked like he was going to jump. And, and I just kind of talked him down. And, and then we walked down that trail together and just talked. And then he left. I've never seen him again. I don't, I, I have no clue what his name is. I just, I was there and I need to be there. And I straight up looked at the sky and said, God, what the fuck? Why is it that I have more spiritual experiences on the side of a goddamn mountain, pun intended, um, and yet at church I'm suffering? And the answer that I got back was, you're good. You don't need to go back. Wow. And I'm like, wait, what? It's like, you're good. You don't need to go back. And, uh, you know, I, I kept testing it over and over again for, for about six months. And just I consistently was getting the answer, you don't need to go. You're done. You've graduated. And so I followed that. And it, it, that's, the, that's the interesting thing is like a lot of people are like, well, you, you must have had some, some, something wrong in your life. You were doing something wrong. And I'm like, no. I literally had what you consider a personal revelation. I literally was told by the thing that you tell me is God talking to you that I'm done. I don't need to be here. Yeah. And that's, that's a problem for Mormonism because you can, you can throw at them fact. You can throw Mm -hmm. at them logic, um, plain history, Mm-hmm. And they will argue everything comes back to personal revelation and that regardless of everything they've had, it personally revealed to them that it's true. We don't know everything about history and, and different things, um, but that it's true. And did you ever have anyone tell you that that revelation was from Satan? Oh, I've had a few people who've who've said, well, that obviously wasn't. I'm like, it's the exact same experience that I had when I was told to be there for someone else and help somebody else from committing suicide. It was the same experience that I had on my mission multiple times where I was somewhere at the right place at the right time for someone to help somebody out. Yeah, that's like it, it, it brings you around in a big circle, because if they say then that your personal experience was somehow falsified fake mm-hmm. from satan then who's to say that it's not the other way around yep the mormon experience is what's falsified or the jehovah's witness experience or the baptist scientologist you know or the yoga yoga flying or whatever yeah, the hell you yeah. <laughs> all just a, a melting pot of human experience and i think from our conversations already um you have a good handle on that as uh, in, in your area of, of expertise that you've gone into in your life mm-hmm. in studying human behavior and interaction. Um, and um, for, I guess, for, for people watching, can you give us, uh, I, it was something I read that you wrote earlier about the um, taste buds, the moral taste buds yeah. and the burger joint. So, um, 
it, that's a, a, a basically an excerpt from a chapter that I'm working on writing called Drawing Connections, um, which is drawing connections between uh, multiple theories across multiple disciplines. Um, the discipline I'm in is uh, radical behaviorism. Uh, that comes from the tradition of B.F. Skinner, uh, pigeons playing, playing ping pong, that sort of thing. Uh, most people don't realize that uh, Skinnerian um, behaviorism or radical behaviorism is more than just that. It, it, there's verbal behavior and, and basically the idea is drawing the connections between radical behaviorism and a newer theory called relational frame theory uh, to connections of other theories from social psychology and evolutionary biology. Um, the other theories being moral foundations theory, moral disengagement theory, um, uh, Stephen Hassan's uh, bite model for for cults, um, and uh, memetics from uh, from uh, evolutionary biology. Richard Dawkins in his The Selfish Gene mentions memes as a as a basically the gene type for ideas, and since then it's developed into its own area of study, and it's really fascinating, but the long story short is when you connect all these ideas together, um, you start seeing a beautiful framework for how to perceive the world. And so um, using moral foundations theory is kind of the backbone for this. Uh, uh, Jonathan Haidt, uh, the, the, it's, it's spelled Hyatt, but he pronounces it Haidt. Um, the principal researcher behind this, he proposes that there are six moral taste buds when he originally proposed it was five but he's since discovered a, a sixth one and there's some amazing research that's been done across the world so it's not just western the western world it's all the way around the world that they're doing research and it's still ongoing um to identify moral foundations and basically every person has a moral foundation that's a concentration of each of these six components um and <clears throat> this this idea occurred to me today, which is what led to me writing that excerpt um, of looking at political parties as being like burger joints or, you know, another fast food place. Basically, the idea behind a burger joint is that you want to appeal to a broad audience of taste buds, but you have a specific flavor profile. And just because that flavor profile is preferred by some people doesn't mean it's the perfect burger for everyone, but it's it's just broad enough to capture enough people that they want to come back. So it's not about perfectly satisfying the desires of the person who's eating. It's about satisfying people just enough to keep them coming back. And if you can make your perfect burger, it's going to be unique to you. Well, same thing goes with political parties. Same thing goes with um, any organization. You want to get people coming back. But the problem with this is, is because it's not customized to you and your tastes, when you're looking at group behavior, um, that if you get used to constantly eating one type of food, that's kind of sort of satisfying you, but not hitting all of your moral foundations, uh, which values are informed off of moral foundations. So, um, but if you're kind of hitting those, those taste buds, but it's not quite clicking, um, eventually what happens is if you don't use it, you lose it and you, you kind of numb yourself to that desire. Um, and then of course, when you have the, you're in a group and you've got, uh, contingencies of reinforcement and punishment, um, and you've got establishing and abolishing operations and you've got behavior momentum, which is, yeah. um, all, all these things working together to keep you where you're at. 
then what happens is is you kind of lose your foundation or your foundation can erode. And that's where um, Steve Hassan's bite model comes in and moral disengagement theory comes in yeah. of if you're in this group of people and you're all getting all these messages and you're and you're being told that, oh, well, this doesn't quite fit. So that doesn't that's not allowed. Then you start creating internal contingencies where you self negative self-talk against the, the ideas that were yours yeah. and positive self-talk to reinforce the group contingency. Yeah. And um, and anything that doesn't jive with this is is pushed to the side. And that's where the moral disengagement comes in. Um, and, and I, it, and it, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I think I think the thing um, the thing you were saying as well. So through all of this, you, mm -hmm. you have this almost um, like you were saying, the burger and you get mm -hmm. that used to this bland kind of burger for everyone. Um, that when you finally leave you start to discover what your actual makeup is mm -hmm. and when you've been in say a religion for so long you've never actually discovered yourself um, and i think a lot of people when they leave mormonism or other uh, religions that, that are quite right wing in their um, socialism etc i think when they leave they become more liberal and people are like, oh, you, you're becoming a woke liberal. And I don't think that's it at all. I think it's the fact that there's no longer this prescribed kind of homophobia, racism or patriarchy that mm -hmm. people actually start to uh, understand what they actually feel inside about other people. And I can see it in myself and other mm -hmm. people. The longer you are outside of that box um you allow yourself to learn um whether it's about you or all the world um so i don't think it's becoming more liberal i'd say in some cases i may have become more conservative or or whatever it might be but i've become more me yeah so yeah but yeah. I, I, I thought it was really interesting again I know people are probably thinking priest of dispatches, man. Um, that's really heavy. Um, but when you unpack it like a burger, I think it's amazing. And that's why I asked the question. Um, but we're going to comment um, for you from uh, Danelle Allen. I believe you, Brian. I was also keeping the commandments and left when I received personal revelation. Thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for the message, Danelle. Um, and I think. Thank you. I, I didn't have an experience like that, but I think it's amazing that you and, and other people have um, because I'd love to be able to turn around to people and, and be like, well, I received revelation that it's not true um, or, or however however <laughs> that was. That. And I saw that you, you did it a few times um, on Facebook recently uh -huh. um, when I shared the story, The Bear of Leeds. Um, so we'll head in that direction now. So we're, we're going to rewind from um, you leaving the church circa age 30. Mm -hmm. We're going to go back to the mission field. Um, so you've, you've left home, which at the time was where? Um, Northern California. So El Dorado County. Um, it was okay. the El Dorado Ward. Uh, okay. So Leeds must have been uh, a bit of a culture shock for you then. 
Not too much of one because half my family are Southern Baptists and half my family are Mormon. Okay. So like for, for me, it was like, it was a new culture, but at the same time, it wasn't a new culture. It was like, Oh, okay, this is cool. And, uh, and my first transfer area was actually, uh, Gateshead, which is Northeast England. Um, just, just South of Newcastle. No, I didn't and, even know that. I said in Gateshead too. Was that, yeah. Was that before or after me? Do you know, it, it was after you. And, and I had a, a Romanian trainer and a German follow-up trainer. And, and I will say, uh, <laughs> who is your trainer? I, Sorry, guys. Uh, Anyone watching this? Is, I'm geeking out now because uh, Mario Stefan. Stefan, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And and uh, it was um, uh, sorry, Matthias Mekas, who was my follow-up trainer. And oh man, I love I love Matthias so much. He's the best. He's an amazing person. We had such good experiences. In fact, it, it, it war stories. Okay, so go on. <laughs> So there's this inactive person that we were consistently visiting, um, me and, and, and Stefan, and he kept on like, you know, having us over, but then kind of blowing us off. Um, but when I introduced him to um, Matthias, he was like, oh, well, come over, let's have tea. And we go over there and we're enjoying, you know, eating dinner, which for those who aren't familiar in England, the tea is dinner, basically. Um, we we're just sitting around the table and, and he started talking about history. And Matthias and I are both history people. Uh, and, and so we started chatting with him. He's like, oh, well, let me show you my collection of, of historical artifacts. And he starts pulling out Nazi materials. Wow. Like, like we're talking like original prints and a few reprints and i still have some uh 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 stamps that he gave us uh so i've got some adolf hitler stamps and a bunch of other stuff and and, and he started talking about you know the reason he went active when active was because the blacks got the priesthood <laughs> and <laughs> we uh we we had to we 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 kept such a straight face. And, and the funny story is that uh, Matthias, both of his grandparents were actually anti-Nazi. Wow. So like he has a, a very interesting history there. And so when we got back, he told uh, got back from the, uh, the, the dinner appointment. Uh, he told me his whole story and about uh, his grandparents and all that cool stuff. And, and, and we had kind of a bonding moment there, but it was like, where did this come from? Wow. Um, you know what though? Re rewind sixty years, and the church was all into that stuff. You know, mm -hmm. like they were just going to go with whoever won. Um, they were they were hedging their bets, and um, yeah, that's crazy. Um, I think, oh yeah, uh, my my overriding memory of you um, as a missionary, and we really didn't move in the same circles. Like, I think we were there at the same time but was a story um i got a phone call from another elder who was part of the mission grapevine mm -hmm. um, and apparently this this mission grapevine had three points on it there was this this elder another elder who was known as a, a bit of a rule breaker and me apparently 
But I was like super like rule keeping. I said to someone, how was I even part of that? And they were like, well, you were the end of it. I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, well, they feed it all to you and then you tell everyone. And I'm like, I tell the people around me. And they're like, that's how gossip works. <laughs> um, but there was, a, there was a famous story, and I think it, it goes down in, in mission history, of a certain elder that ended up in hospital um, and a certain elder's companion who ended up in a, a different sort of bed but wasn't a hospital bed or his mm -hmm. own bed. Um, do you want to tell us the story? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it simple. I, I had appendicitis, um, and so I went into the hospital, and they managed to pull it out, but then I was in the hospital for an additional week because I caught the superbug, um, and, and that resulted in all sorts of misery. Um, and... When I first went in, my companion had called the district leader and they came down and got him right away. Um, and basically he was in a trio or threesome uh, while I was recouping at uh, one of the elderly missionary couples in Leeds mission home. This was this all took place in Keefley, uh, which is just north of Halifax uh, and just outside of Bradford. Um, and so I, you know, basically was held up for, for a couple weeks. And then, of course, I get the slap on the butt. All right, back out in the mission field. And, of course, I didn't have a proper opportunity to recover because I had a three-inch incision in my gut. Wow. Right? It, like cutting through the, the stomach wall. And, and so, you know, I wasn't getting the right nutrition because I wasn't told what I was supposed to be eating. I was just handed some pills and and, and sent on my way. Um, Given and, a blessing, right? What's that? Given a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the the hospital sent me the the pills, but then yeah, yeah I did get a blessing. Um, but then I was sent back to to the um, the area I was serving in Keefley, and because of that level of injury, it was really, really difficult to, to track and do all the things we were supposed to do. And, you know, I felt guilty about it. And the mission president and the zone leaders or zone lords, as I like to call them, uh, told me, well, just do the best you can and, uh, you know, rest up. And because we were friends with this one lady in the ward and she was pretty good at bringing people to us to talk to, um, we started spending a lot of time at her house and she would bring people to us and we teach lessons and do all this other stuff. And then we just kind of chill out. Um, and so three to four weeks later, I have complications due to the not having the right nutrition and not having the right things being done because, Hey, let's, let's take a major surgery and, and, and treat it like it's nothing. I should have probably been sent home for medical, but Hey, you know, let's be efficient here. Um, so I end up back in the hospital thinking I'm having another appendicitis issue of, uh, but it's gone. I don't have an appendix. Turns out it was, it was severe constipation and I was in the hospital for another week. Um, well, my companion after this, he, um, he hopped in the car and he drove up, up to this lady's place and, and the rest is history. Um, they had relations. And the only reason why the mission president found out about this 
Go on. Was because he confessed. Yeah. So the story I heard was slightly different. I'm not saying yours is wrong. I'm just saying it's oh, interesting yeah. how even though you lived it in real time and I only lived it maybe a couple of weeks after, mm-hmm. um, but the story had changed already. Oh, so yeah. the story was that you'd broken your leg um, and you were in hospital with a broken leg. The story would have been so much better if you'd have been in hospital because you were like full of shit. Um, you know what I mean? I, I don't yeah. know why that that didn't make it in, but you'd broken your leg, um, yeah. and and as we imagined it as missionaries with beer goggles on, this lovely nurse waltzed in. You and your companion there, and, and there she said, "Visiting time's over," and your companion was like, "Woo!" He gets in the car and he rouses around to this less active sister's house, and they boink all night. Um, but the, the the less active sister was like in her fifties, which I think is a bit of an exaggeration. I, I think she was in her early forties. Did she have children the same age as you? Mm, yes. Okay, so that's yes. a good indication. Um, but that she fell pregnant, and it was that that caused the elder to um confess that part is true um but then she later miscarried yeah so um, but they they did get married um mm-hmm. the elder went home um and then came right back on his missionary missionary visa um and got married and they they lived happily for a long time i'm i'm sure i know they they moved between keithley and somewhere in the states um, yeah and, and back again arizona um, but yeah, that that was like one of the most famous stories um, of the England Leeds mission, circa the early noughties or mid noughties. Um, yeah, was this this elder? Not so much you. It was more the other guy. Yeah. Um, but I think you had a big role to play. No, don't feel guilty about it. We had a big oh. role to play in it. In um, you know, freeing him up for the the free throw. Oh, uh, uh, the mission president played on that guilt thing and and uh, didn't really? straight up state it, say it, but but did imply that if I had been more faithful, my my companion wouldn't have fallen into sin. Oh and uh, I was transferred to an area where where I was punished. I was sent to the armpit of the mission, uh, <laughs> Bridlington. Yes, yeah. which, by the way, was one of my favorite areas because it wasn't an armpit. It's ama- It was a beautiful place and amazing people. But you're you're away from everyone. That's what it was. Brillington yeah. is on the east coast of the UK, um, just below Scarborough. There's, yeah, there's there's a line of like small seaside towns, and Brillington's mm-hmm. one of them. But outside of that, there's nothing for like 10, 15 miles in any direction. Mm. other than these tiny little seaside towns um so there's no big city there's no um you know big membership or anything like that it's just a small is it a branch there it, it it's a branch in Bridlington and a ward in scarborough yeah there you go yeah. so it's, yeah you were like cast out i remember you being there yeah you were there for a long time as well weren't you I was in Burlington for seven and a half months and in Scarborough for three. Oh my gosh, so almost half your mission. Yeah. And 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 it was the the best thing that could have happened to me. Uh, 
And uh, actually, uh, something, one of the seminal things that happened on my, my mission actually happened in Bridlington. Um, I don't know if you recall the, uh, the, the, the Woodward revelation to go uh, street contacting during the hottest summer <laughs> in full week. <laughs> sacrifice week. Yes. We were supposed to go out and we were supposed to wear our jackets and in a high humidity and high heat yeah. and, you know, him telling us, well, I can do it. So you can, and, you know, despite the fact he spent most of his time in either an air conditioned office or, or car, but you know, Hey, whatever. So we're out there doing our street contacting the zone leaders come up and we're doing splits. Um, one of the zone leaders was uh, David Ellis, um, Australian and the other was a Swiss missionary whose name I don't want to remember because he was an, a horrible asshole. Um, oh, but geez. yeah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, so we were street contacting and I'm, I'm there street contacting. We, at the time it was one cell phone for a missionary companionship. It was all those old Nokia bricks and my companion had the, the Nokia brick. And, and I'm doing the street contact and I walk up to this guy and say, you know, you want to hear a message from uh, for Jesus Christ? And this guy's, this guy looks me in the eye and says, you know, I'd love to listen to this message, but um, I haven't eaten in three days. I'm really hungry. And I go, well, there's a Sainsbury's over there. Let's go get you some food. And he's like, wait, what? I'm like, let's go get you some food. So we go into the Sainsbury's and he's he's getting the bare minimum. I'm like, no. And I get him if he needs. I make sure to put it in his in his uh, in, in his basket. And I'll tell you right now that that was one of the most important lessons that Elder Stefan taught me. And I didn't like him as a person, but I did like that he was willing to sacrifice and help others. And he taught me a very important lesson there. So you know, I I was willing to do that. And and I I bought this guy food and. We later had an appointment. Um, he's like, oh, I, you know, I'm like, don't do this because I helped you. Do this because you want to. Mm -hmm. Later on, you know, it didn't turn into anything, but, you know, we didn't meet with him. Well, I come out of the Sainsbury with this guy and all three missionaries are panicking, looking for me. And I was only in there for about 10 minutes, but they're like, where were you? And I was like, well, I was helping this guy out. I bought him some food. He was, he was hungry. Um, so what happened was after this um they called the assistance to the president and uh the the swiss missionary wanted to uh <laughs> wanted to punish me and the mission president was saying that he would too and David stood up to the mission president and said, if you, and I'm pretty sure he said this exactly this way too. If you fucking punish Middleton, then I'm leaving right now. And so as punishment, I got to kill him off. I got to send him home. I, I was with him for his last transfer. So he was demoted and it was the best transfer I ever had. I loved hanging out with David. It was so wow. much fun. I was he like, like he, he, he went to bat for you. He got demoted and everything. Yeah. But well, isn't it and... isn't it telling how stupid like the whole regimented rule thing is that mm -hmm. you were being punished because you were out of sight for 10 minutes. You told them a very believable, true story 
it was, was verifiable. They could look at my transactions on the yeah. mission card. I was buying that homeless person food for 10 minutes, but that required punishment because you could have been, I don't know, masturbating for 10 minutes. You could have been with a woman doing all these other things, you know, but we have to be in sight of one another because we can't be trusted to keep the rules or do something nice like you did. It's yeah. It's a joke, man. It's yeah. But you know, it wasn't all bad. There, there, there were definitely a lot of really wonderful experiences. Um, well, we're going to come to a bad one. Wonderful people. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because it's, it's come to that time that we, we call you the bear of leads. Now I've had many different conversations with people following uh, publishing your story, the bear of leads. Uh, many people who found it shocking. Some people found it um, reaffirming and, and shared their stories with me of, of things that happened on their missions or, or things that they'd heard about. Um, one person even said, has there always been a bear of leads? Is it just a title that's passed on? Um, you know, and, and I think whether we know that or not, I think there, there could have been a lot of bears around the world from what I've been hearing. Um, but, uh, again, as a trigger warning, your, the story of the bear of Leeds involves, um, sexual abuse, um, which has been, I guess, brushed off over the years in many guises as hazing or locker room fun. Um, but in reality is very serious, mm -hmm. um, for anyone, um, who requires help just signpost there again to the the survivors trust in the uk or rain r-a-i-n-n -N, in the united states uh, you can see the links in the show description but brian um if you could tell us the story of how you became the bear of leads so it was my last transfer and it was the beginning of my last transfer so transfers for those aren't aware of it six weeks uh, every six weeks, you can be relocated to a new location. Um, and uh, I knew it was my last transfer. The mission president wanted to get rid of our transfer group uh, because there were a lot of us troublemakers in it. Um, a lot. <laughs> he, we were the burr in his, his saddle, as it were. Um, and so he sent us a transfer home early with the convenient lie of, well, your visa's expired and it would cost the mission more to renew your visas. Once I got my passport back, oh, he was a goddamn liar. He was such a liar. On well, they five-year like, visas. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, didn't, it didn't expire, but that was the excuse that was given. So, you know, just wanted to get rid of us, whatever. Um, but frankly, it, it probably was for the best. Um, so doing district splits again, this time with the zone leaders, this time uh, I went to the zone leaders place and one of the zone leaders went to, to my area. And um, the apartment or flat that uh, the zone leaders were in had uh, six missionaries in it. So um, three pairs. And I was with the junior zone leader and the senior zone leader was, was back in my area. What, what um, area was this? Uh, Leeds third, I think. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I was with, uh, Elder Dietrich was my last companion. Um, 
I keep on forgetting his first name. Uh, kind of lost contact with him. But anyways, um, so I go into this apartment after we do our day of working, and there's a couple of my friends there. Because, you know, I know them. They're younger missionaries. And and, and whenever we did uh, hanging out on, on P days, preparation days on Mondays, um, we play football and hang out and talk together and, and talk about things we had in common. And so, you know, I clicked with them. And they pulled me aside and they said, hey, uh, just so you know, um, those three other guys are going to come in. And one of them's going to be wearing um, briefs really tight underwear, and he's going to hump you. He's going to dry hump you. And if you fight, they're going to hold you down. So just don't resist. Just let it happen, and it'll be done, and it'll never happen again. Everybody who comes here, that happens to. That happened to us. And I, I'm I'm somewhat ashamed of this, but at the same time, I'm not, I wasn't educated about this at the time. But I was like, what the hell's wrong with you guys? Why would you, why would you let that happen? Why didn't you fight back? Why didn't you tell somebody? And then, and they're just like, just, just do it. Just, just let it, let it happen. And um, now looking back that, that is, and knowing what I know about trauma and sexual assault and, and, and those sorts of things, um, this is very common. And my response was very uncommon. I think it has to do with my neurotype. Um, but when those assholes came in, I fought. And we're talking like I'm a big guy, but you know, I was still had my young frame, so I wasn't as big as I am now. Um, definitely have always been pretty broad shouldered, but these other guys were also big guys. Like that they were not small people and they were not they, they were definitely muscular. And yet I was so enraged that had both arms being held back and I just uh, and I kind of bashed the two together and pushed one over a bed and pushed the other against the wall and the guy who's trying to hump me um I like grabbed him and started just wailing on him and said leave her the fuck alone over and over again and and just kept on fighting them off until they finally like well what the hell what the fuck Middleton leave it come on we're just trying to have fun I'm like uh-uh no this isn't fun this is not okay so if you touch me again at all, I'm calling the mission president. I'm calling the area president. I'm calling, I'm going all the way up to the goddamn prophet. If you touch me again, stay off me. And they backed off. And I wish I had said something. Um, it wasn't until years and years later um, that I realized that, that that was sexual assault. Yeah. Um, and, and interestingly, uh, after that happened, I felt guilty. I felt shame. I was like, what did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this happening to me? I also felt guilty about being so angry. I, I felt awful for it because I'm like, well, that, that's not a godly emotion. That's not something I should be feeling. Yeah. And I think having been in the mission at the same time, like you couldn't have said anything to the mission president because he was an enabler of that I, sort I, of behavior. I've had a few people reach out to me and share me with privately. So I will not say reveal information. 
Um, but the previous mission president and this mission president, similar concerns were brought to him, both yeah. of them. And they were told that it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. That they were making a big deal out of it. Um, so. Yeah. Ozzy's just got a couple of questions in the comments. He says, um, I'll just bring it up. Was it the same missionary doing it all the time? Or was it just um, an area of tradition, so different ones? It sounded like it was the same missionary, but I, I didn't really inquire uh, about it. It, it might have been a tradition. I honestly don't know enough to know. Now, um, I know, I know we're not going to name people here because we don't want to get into into that messiness with them. You know, it's a horrible thing that it, that they did. Um, yeah. And as much as I think name shame and, and, and do whatever, that's not, they've got to deal with their own. Yeah, I agree. But I, I was companions earlier in his mission with the elder who did that. And um, honestly, he's just a fucking clown. And, and I'm not saying that that is anything. What I'm saying is, like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was some sort of tradition mm. in in answer to Ozzy's thing and that this guy is just like, yeah, I'll go with that. You know, I'll do that because it'll make yeah. me feel bigger um, and better. And Elder Middleton... You know, um, you'd been out in Bridlington for so long. You'd been isolated. You were mm -hmm. seen maybe as lower in the social standing in the mission. Um, and the, he thought, well, I'm going to dominate that guy. Um, mm -hmm. But then, like your friends said that it had happened to them. Yeah. Um, earlier in my mission, um, I'd repeated abuses from my trainer who was then ap for about 18 months uh -huh. um and yeah i think it's it's what happens when you take a bunch of undeveloped not poorly educated but not fully educated young men mm. some who've grown up as the alpha male some who've grown up as you know the whipping boy and you put them in a situation where the only rule is their rule mm -hmm. it's almost like a lord of the flies situation well it's but a stanford it, experiment yeah it's it, but the problem is you know the the church has just paid out 250 million because of priesthood leaders abusing scouts Mm -hmm. um, you know, other churches are paying out millions for priests doing things to children. But when are we going to get to the point where just because we were over 18 doesn't mean that it wasn't wrong or that it didn't count, if you know what I mean? Because we could have been just as helpless yeah. in that situation, um, whether it had been physically helpless because as you said there were more of them and you fought back whether it had been uh socially helpless because no matter how you fought 
um, no one believed you or yeah. everyone just kind of brushed it off as good old college fun. Um, but I, I think surely there needs to be at some point a reckoning um, where the church understands or I don't know if we've got to get together and make them understand. I don't know how that what that looks like or how we do that. There's a there's a lot of a lot of policy and things that are phrased as revelation, but our policy that that the church does, and and I'm never going back. I'm not, but I would love it if the faith that I was brought up in would acknowledge the problems that they're having, actually just own them, and then change, because. There are so many good people. I love so many people who who have that faith and believe that's a part of who they are. And um, I reposted the story, and I and I had some people pop on and and say some things. And I've had some other people reach out to me since and be like, "You should have just let loose on those people." I'm like, "But why?" Like that that's the that's the thing that I keep coming back to over and over again. It's like. Yes, I, I've been using quite a bit of, of cursing and because there's there's still that anger there and that's a part of who I am. Like and I and and now I know that that was what helped me survive. And I have been phrasing things as they are, but really what it is is they were operating within their context. Yeah. And and so like while I have been a victim, also aren't they victims in their own way? Because environment informs behavior. That's that's the core of my science as a radical behaviorist. Your environment informs your behavior. And and that environment was so toxic. And I, I agree with you, but I don't think it is um, your role as oh. the victim to sympathize for them. I think you have to... Um, it, that's for some greater good person to to pick apart how they abused you and that in doing I, I totally agree see what you're saying but I think that kind of for the the brass tacks of your um, experience there that you were the victim oh. none of it was okay and that it's the church who created that environment mm -hmm. of the the locker room it's and that's what a mission is it's the boys locker room um just around the world yeah. you know that you get together when when four or six missionaries get together in apartments at night stupid stuff happens it's, uh, it's not even four or six it's two wow well, yeah. it, when there's when there's two and there's a power dynamic where one is in control and yeah. the other has to follow through and and let me be clear here i'm I'm not justifying their behavior. I never justify their behavior. You know what? I've I've made bad decisions and I've done things that I feel guilty and shame for, and I should. The thing, the mistakes that I've made, and I could I could say, well, it was the environment, and it was this and this and that, all these other things. No, no, I own my mistakes. That's the thing. This is this is the thing that makes the change happen. We have to own our mistakes and then move forward. And, and I literally, I mean that literally move forward, not forgiveness. I think forgiveness is the stupidest idea out there because then somebody holds something over you. 
It's like, no, I don't have to be held. This doesn't have to be held over my head. It's own it, move forward. Yeah, That's my thing. And so it needs to be owned and we need to move forward. And I can have compassion for them. And, 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 and that's for me. That's my choice. I'm not saying anybody else should feel what I feel. This is my evolution, my process that I've gone through. And so that's why, that's why I say what I say, but I have compassion for them. And I feel so awful that that's the condition that still is happening to this day. Yeah. It's, it's horrendous, but the only way that it's going to change is by bringing a light to the darkness and shining it in and being like, no, this is bullshit. It's happening. No, you can't say that, oh, well, boys will be boys. Or you can't say, well, you know, the church is perfect, but the people aren't. And all these other justification. No, like the systems inform behavior. If you want to change behavior, you change the systems. And right now the system, there's good things about it and there are horrendous things about it. And, and I... I would, I like to say that this is the only time that I've had a situation where someone had unrighteous dominion over me, but, but this is one among many. It's just the one that was the most scarring or could have been scarring because the way I look at it is this is an experience that I experienced and I am better for it. Not because I had to experience it. I don't believe this whole story about God only gives you things that you can handle. I think that it's just, this is how life goes. Things happen and you can either hold on to it and let it fester and rot you on from the inside out, or you can say, you know what? I experienced this. And that's actually a principle from acceptance and commitment therapy, which is um, one of the podcasts I have act natural podcast um, is about that. Um, this is something called self as context. I'm seeing myself in context. And in context, I've experienced this. And just like self as context, I am autistic. But it's really not I'm autistic. I experience autism. And self as context is I am non-binary. But really, it's not I'm non-binary. I am a person who experiences the the belief that it doesn't matter whether I'm male or female. What matters is that I'm me. And so I reject the, the, and this is partially, in, uh, and I fully acknowledge this is partially in rebellion against the church, but it's partially also to demonstrate this idea and live it. But I reject the idea that male or female is superior. I, I don't think that the priesthood if there is something that is the priesthood should go to any one sex over another or gender or whatever you want to call it. And so part of the reason why I say I'm non-binary and why I believe as I believe and act as I act is to, to demonstrate and model that, that that's it. And if anybody's worried about pronouns, I don't care. That's really, that's literally, I don't care about my pronouns. Like I, I've had clients accidentally call me Miss Brian or, or Mrs. Middleton or stuff like that. I'm like, I, I just don't care. It doesn't matter to me because really at the end of the day, what my pronoun is, is me. It's just kind of hard to, to say me likes burgers, you know? <laughs> so it's just like, whatever. I'm <laughs> The bear. Yeah, there you go. The bear. The bear. 
which to bring it full circle that that the the bear of leads was was what i was nicknamed for for that last transfer and it made it back to me um and i think that they were trying to punish me and at the time it hurt um i didn't quite catch the 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 reference to the homosexual community at the time but later i learned about what what a bear is and so they were trying to to talk down to me and make it act like i was i was somehow inferior for 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 this but uh I, you know what i hold that with pride because yeah, i know yeah. some bears and they're wonderful people take they're it. wonderful people and i am so proud to be called the bear of leads no so if you're going to be a bear be a bear of leads no absolutely and i think like priest of dispatches is all about telling humorous stories and when you first sent me your story a few weeks ago I didn't know what to do with it, in all honesty. Um, you know, I've never handled anything like that before, but it touched me as well um, from my experiences as a, as a missionary, um, which were very similar. Um, so I knew we had to do something with it. I hope that we've we've put it out there. Um, and Ozzy... Um, just put this up who will become the sam young of missionary abuse um i don't know what to do with that ozzy um because on one hand i think we we'd all say we want to we all want it to stop but the great thing about sam was he was a father protecting his children um it's a little bit harder sometimes to protect yourself mm -hmm. and to stand up and say, you know, I was abused and that these things happened to me. Um, so I don't, I don't know, Ozzy, but we'll see. Um, hopefully one day we can, we can make something happen. Um, but sorry we've gone to our place this is heavy and that's okay you know what i don't think there is any need for any more stories or jokes or anything i think we've come to a point where we want this emotion um to remain in its i guess purest form and um all i'll say is for anyone again who's struggling who may have been um triggered or upset by what we've discussed in the last 20 minutes um in the uk the survivors trust in the united states rain r-a-i-n-n um the links are in the description for the show and anyone else um, around the world who needs help, email waroffice at priestofdispatches.com. Anyone else with an experience that they want to share or add to this, email waroffice at priestofdispatches.com. And Ozzy, you never know, we, we might get something together and, and try and have our own Sam Young moment with the Bear of Leeds. Um, but I think that's where we're going to leave it for this evening. 
Um, thank you, Brian. Thanks, everyone, in the comments. And um, we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you.